0: Well, I titled the, the, the sermon today, Zealous for Good, and uh, we're covering verses 8 through 16, 1 Peter chapter 3, 8 through 16. I want to begin in verse 8, and uh, verse 8 is packed. Uh, before we get to there, though, it's, it's, it's important to remember this. Everything I'm about to preach is impossible if you are unsaved. Let me just say that clearly. You can't do this the way Scripture calls you to do this unless you are drawing with roots deep into the power of the gospel. You can't obey this way on your own. It it, it won't be for the glory of God, and it will be a fickle flame that, that fades. We can't do these things unless we are drawing on the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. What is that good news? Let me just tell you right up front. The good news is that we are sinners, and we are hopelessly lost in in our own devices. We have rebelled against God. We are on the way to the fires of hell under the wrath of God. The good news is that God sent His Son, Jesus, to live in obedience, something that none of us in this room have done. Not even close have we done that, but Jesus did. In perfection, He obeyed the Father. Every time we disobeyed, Jesus obeyed. And Then he laid his life down to pay, not for his own sins, but for the sins of all who trust in him and place their faith in him and say, Lord Jesus, your obedience, I believe, is now my obedience. Your sacrifice is for my sins, so that when he died, I died. And when he was buried, I was buried. And when he rose in power and victory, so did I. I am forgiven. Through his work alone, I bring nothing to the table but sin and rebellion. Jesus, save me. Right? That's the good news of the gospel. And God doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to save anyone. But he chooses in mercy and grace and love to lavish this gift on all those whom he has chosen from eternity past. And every single one will come in faith and embrace that good news. And the moment that that happens in your life, you begin to draw from new resources. You have a new heart. You have incredible power residing within you. God Himself lives in you. The Spirit indwells you fully, completely, and begins to transform you from the inside out. You are set free from sin and called then to be a slave of God, to obey God and His commandments. And uh, we've been journeying through the early chapters of 1 Peter, in the doctrines of that. What has Christ accomplished? All of this is true. Now we're in the application. And I just felt like it's important to remind ourselves, we can't do this without the gospel. You've got to have roots before you have fruits. Okay, So all of the fruit we talk about here is gospel-dependent fruit. It's gospel-dependent obedience. With that in view, let's dig in here and look at verse 8. The mindset of the redeemed. What is to be the mindset of believers, Christians, both in this church and around the world? How should we think and feel inside? Well, we've got quite a list that Peter gives us here. Finally, all of you, that's everyone here in this room who carries the name of Christ, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. What a list. You see what I mean? This is a shotgun. We're in verse 8, and he's already hit us with, with multiple commands. These are gigantic calls to Christian virtue. What does it look like to be zealous for good? Here's where it starts. As the gospel gives strength, this is to be true of all of us. Now, it's interesting that he says, finally, all of you. So, We know in previous weeks, moving through 1 Peter, he's been addressing different groups, right? So we started with uh, all of us under civil authority, obey civil authority, submit. And then workers, right, to bosses and submitting in the workplace. And then um, husbands and wives, most recently, wives submit to husbands. Husbands, love your wives in the same way that Christ loved the church and all that that entails, Now, finally, he steps back and he's addressing the whole congregation. That's all of us here. And then he ties in on this list. Let's move through this list piece by piece and consider this. Unity of mind. Uh, The New American Standard describes this as harmony. It translates it harmonious. Be harmonious. Be like-minded. Have one mind. It doesn't mean that we are the same. We are not the same. We are not all the same as, as, as the way that we think, but we are called to unity even in the differences that we bring to the table. That's what I love about the worship team this morning. Did you catch the harmonies that were happening up here? Spectacular. Well done, worship team. There were different notes that were being sung, but guess what? They were purposed to correspond with and bless and weave together with the other notes that were, that's, that's Christian unity. We're not the same, but we are to be one, harmonious together, like-minded in our journey together. There's a lot of talk about unity. A lot of times I hear, especially in our day, the talk of how to achieve unity is to downplay division. Well, guess what? Truth divides. Truth does divide. So, many times on the chopping block is truth itself. And if you ignore the truth or, or deny the truth or downplay the truth, then you can pretend to be unified. But guess what? That's not unity. That's not the kind of unity the Scriptures call us to. John 17, right? For Bible study, we're studying this this week. In John 17, Jesus himself prays for you, church. He prays for us together. And he says, unify them. Unite them together. With the same unity that we have, think of this, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that is the degree to which we are called to be unified. The unity of the Godhead is to be on display in our love and unity between one another. In the very same passage, passage, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So what is the path to unity? Sanctification in the Word, the truth of God. So we gather around this truth, the absolute truth of God's Word, and the more we do, the more we tenaciously seek to obey His Word and gather around what His Word says, we find unity. We are washed by the Word, transformed by the Word, made to be those that that echo the character of Christ, Unity is to shine in and among God's people. They say, well, why are all these divisions then? Why all the denominations and the differences? You know what mostly it tracks back to? Sin and bad interpretation. That's what I would say. Oh, there's a third category. False believers, tares, plants of Satan in churches to divide and destroy. So if you compromise the word, you're going to have problems with Unity. If you downplay and ignore the Word, you're going to have problems with unity. If you live in sin and you promote sin and pride and arrogance, you're going to have a problem with unity. Many of the divisions that have occurred have occurred from bad handling of the Word of God. Unity of mind. I I praise God for the unity that we have experienced in this church. It is really special. It was tested during the recent years, I mean, you talk about a test of, of ecclesiastical unity. The COVID lockdowns and some of the challenges of masking and vaccines and all this, that, was, that was a test. And, church, you passed the test. Thank you for your love for one another. Thank you for loving one another, even when there were different decisions being made, and, and for caring for one another and putting things first and foremost staying true to the word. It's a blessing and it's a, it's a witness. It's a witness to Whatcom County. The second thing on the list is sympathy. Uh, the words come together here, two words combined. It means to, uh, literally to suffer with, to suffer with someone. It reminds me of the verse that, that Paul gives in Romans. The church is to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I just spotted the Heathers family back here. I didn't see you guys before. I've been feeling this this week. We have been feeling this as you guys have journeyed together through this deep valley. And we love you guys. And our hearts are weighed down. This is is what it's like. This is what happens. When you are together in the gospel and journeying together and, and something like this goes down, it weighs your heart down. You feel the weight. Even though we have the hope of glory and we know that Sue is with the Lord, it still hurts. and It's heavy. And there's something that happens when when people gather around and they just say, I feel, I feel. it, It hurts. It's heavy. When one member is... Going through a trial, the whole body feels it, 1 Corinthians. When one member is advanced or promoted, the whole body rejoices. There's a unity that's on display in sympathy, the way we love one another. Brotherly love, this is the word Philadelphia. It's a close, selfless, and serving love we see this on display every week in the way you love one another. It's, it's a beautiful thing. A, a brotherly love. It's, it's close. It's connected. It's, it's steadfast. It's sacrificial, self-forgetful love. How can I help? What can I do? What, what, how can I bless you? What would it look like? This is on display. I, I love John's sermon from last week. What an encouragement that is and how it dovetails in with this passage. One of the things I appreciated that that he said was, well done and and all the more, right? There's more. There's there's more ground to gain. We can do this better. We, Good Shepherd, can grow and and pursue a more consistent display of this love as we move forward together. Tender hearts. This is the word splotchna. It's it's a, a Greek word that is deep. Uh, deep and guttural it's a compassionate kind-hearted you feel it and and you're moved by it this is what jesus felt when he saw the crowds and they were like sheep without a shepherd he was stirred deeply in the guts as it were to feel have a tender heart for those who are hurting friends christians should be defined by this We should not be standoffish, we should not be calloused, we should not be trite or or quick to write off people who are hurting, whether they be in the church or outside of the church. We are those who should be first to respond, first to hit our knees. How can we help? What happened here? Oh, man, what can I do? Tender-hearted. Pride will often display itself like the Pharisees who stand off and say, you see this guy over here groveling on his knees? Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like him. That is not who we are to be. Tender-hearted, quick to move, to meet those who are struggling and hurting. And then number five, the, the, the high virtue of humility. This may be the one that, that is the source or the... the um, what would you call it, the the manufacturing center of all other Christian virtue. It's the opposite of pride. It's, It's the right assessment of who I am in light of God's holiness and my sinfulness. How has he treated me? How am I then to treat you? How has he regarded me? What has he done for me? Philippians 2. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Look at what he did. He laid his life down. Don't consider yourself first, consider others first. There's a meekness here. Look at how these dovetail together. They're almost inseparable. They come together. Friends, that's part of why when we describe, as John said last week, the attributes of God, there is but one attribute, God, right? He is and we are to be His reflection. So all of these move in unity together in expression and love. If you want to grow in the Christian life, if you want to be more mature as the years advance, target this. This one verse captures so much of what it means to be a Christian in this world. Before I move on, I just have to mention this. Um, We are commanded here to feel things. And I was struck by this as I as I went through the week, different circumstances and counseling, there are times where people are feeling things and those feelings guide them. They are led by their feelings, they are led by their heart. It just feels like this is right. And sometimes it's not right, sometimes it's wrong, sometimes it's sinful. So don't just follow your heart. The world says follow your heart. Satan loves it when people follow their hearts. Just blindly wandering into the weeds. We are called to feel as we have been commanded to feel. Lord, I don't have a tender heart. What if my heart isn't tender? What do I do? Pray. Change my heart, O oh God. Soften it to be like yours. I want your heart more. I need your heart. Change my heart. Hmm. Follow God and preach to your heart what is right. Tell your heart what to feel. Tell your heart that it does not lead the way God leads the way. He is the, the, the sovereign in your life. And as you trust Him, He will bring those feelings in line with where they should be. Hmm. Now, verses 9 through 12, we we start with uh, the the, the mindset of the redeemed. Now we move into the responses of the redeemed. And I love that Peter moves this direction because if you don't start with the mindset and the right heart, then, then this will never happen. Verses 9 through 12 will just not work well. So, there's a flow here, a, a, a process of, of, uh, of growth. Verse 9, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this, to this you were called, to bless, that you may obtain a blessing. So think of that. There's a promise here and in, in, in the verses to come. Um, Peter is going to quote from Psalm 34. So he's going to quote from the Old Testament. He's going to be drawing as well from Isaiah chapter 8. But this is incredibly challenging for us. It's not new for us. We saw this in Romans 12 when we journeyed through there. We already have come across this in 1 Peter. So he, he returns to this topic. And one of the things that says is these folks were struggling. They were already, I believe, under persecution, they were experiencing the tremors of persecution, how are we to respond when we are persecuted, when we are reviled? We are not to return reviling. We are not to return evil. We are not to drop down into the dark. We are to overcome the dark with light and good. To this Christian you were called. You were set free from rebellion, called out of the dark and into the light. Chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. That you may obtain a blessing. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But just consider this. Jesus himself taught Peter. To, to remember, Peter's words here are echoing the words of Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers. Happy, ha- happy, happy. Are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, verse 9. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Look at how these verses connect. You see the connection here? This jumped out to me. For they shall be called sons of God. What is that? What is Jesus pointing us to? He's saying, reflect your Father. And your Father is merciful. Your Father is a merciful, a God of mercy. Mercy. He shows kindness even to those who are evil. So should we. So should we. And as we do, we demonstrate that we are sons. We we will be referred to. Those people must be Christians. They, They are shining the character of the one that they follow Christ. They are sons of the Father, God Almighty. Evil actions are in view, but also evil words. I think probably in the Christian life, at least my experience has been that, that words tend to be more common in this category. I, I rarely have people come at me with punches, but, but I, I do have them come at me with words, harmful, hurtful words, uh, words that can sound s- sanctified and, and, and yet they're cutting Sometimes passive aggressive Facebook posts will will come in this way. How will we respond? H- how do you respond when words are are leveraged against you and, and and they're corrupt, they're evil, they're harmful, they're meant to hurt? Will you respond with a blessing? This is not natural. It's not instinctual. It doesn't come. It's, and I guarantee you, it's not the first thing that comes, is it? Right? I mean, I, we want it to be, but that first impulse is, oh, man, I will get you. Larry was giving us a demonstration of this, jokingly so, I'm sure. But uh, he was talking about how people were passing him and how he has these high beams on his suburban and he can really. This is a challenge. <laughs> it's a challenge. I told him, Larry, you never want to say stuff like that right before the sermon. (laughs) Oh, I love him. We're all there though, aren't we? We're we're all there. Here's me driving a Prius (laughs) in Phoenix. Okay? Thank you, Ken and Melbeth. It was awesome. We we had a great vacation, but I'm telling you, people are crazy drivers down there. And they all drive these monster trucks that could squash my little Prius. Right And and, and on the bumper of this Prius it says, Wag more, bark less, I believe. Is that right? So here's me driving Melbeth's Prius through the streets of Phoenix, scared for my life. And thinking, even if I wanted to respond with evil, what could I do in this vehicle? (laughs) You hit the gas and nothing happens. I say that because it's in us. We don't like... To experience this. This is not enjoyable to go through. And, And on a far more serious note, for real, there are those in this room, and I know you have received horrible evil. You have been on the receiving end of harmful, hurtful, devastating words. So I don't mean to make light of this. This is not just a traffic thing. This is life-altering evil. And, and, and Lord, you're telling me that I'm supposed to bless in return? How do you do that? How in the world do you do that? It's one of the ways we shine. It's one of the ways the world will know that we are not of the world any longer. You want to be blessed of God? He quotes Psalm 34 now. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. Oh, Christian, that's you. That's me. Do you long to love life and see good days? Then here is the way forward for you. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Seek peace and pursue it. That's you, Christian. That's your assignment. That, that's, that's the normal operating procedure. Turn from evil. And replace it with good. It's not just avoid. It's not, it's not just nothing. It's return good for evil. It's so upside down. And so not automatic that it shines, and it surprises, and it shocks when it happens. Seek peace and pursue it. That means that Christians are not the ones that start the fights. We're the ones that break them up, right? We're, we're, we're not the ones who are like, come on, man, let's duke it out, let's go. No, we're the, no hold, hold them back. No, no, no. Let's calm this thing down. We're the de-escalators in the room. Not the ones storming the castle, but we're saying let's, let's think, let's be level-headed, let's, let's find a way for peace. If at all possible, so far as it depends on you, live with, in peace with everyone. Romans 12. Seek it. Be zealous for it. Even in days of persecution, even when you are reviled and evil is done to you. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. There's just a a, a reminder here of the connection between the heart and the mouth. The mouth will express what is in the heart. If you give room for bitterness or anger or evil in your heart, there is going to be an expression of that in your tongue and on your lips. It's not who we are. We've been forgiven. We've been set free. We've been given a new heart. And that we're called to be who we are. The heart and the mouth. Deceit. It means we're truth tellers. We don't speak falsehood. We don't lie. We don't twist things up to make ourselves look good. We speak truth. And we do so in love. Not, not, not with a blade. Not to hurt or to harm But in love, we speak truth. Hmm. Jesus said this in Matthew 12, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person, out of his good treasure, oh, Christian, that's you. Out of treasure that you have in your heart, you bring forth good. The fruit is on display as you tap into the root of the gospel. But the evil person speaks out of evil treasure and brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, hear this, Christians, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now what does that mean? we interpret Scripture with Scripture? We're not saying that we're saved because of words we speak. We're saying that we show that we're saved as we speak words consistent with who we are. The words we speak will reveal we are His children. We are His. We are light, not darkness anymore. And if we are defined by careless words, if we are defined by evil, then we should think twice about the label Christian and ask it, do I really believe? Am I really walking in obedience to the Savior that I say I love? If my mouth is defined by evil and corruption, I may be self-deceived. The fruit reveals the root. That's what Jesus is saying. Make sure that you are clinging to Jesus and delighting in Him and obeying Him because He said, if you love me, you'll obey me. That's how it works. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their prayers. Now remember two weeks ago, the husband that mistreats his wife, mishandles the authority that God has given him to harm His prayers were shut off from God. Hindered, it says. And now here, as we obey, the Lord delights in our prayers. If, however, our lips are speaking forth evil and we are harming and living in an evil way, our prayers may be hindered here as well. You want the eyes of the Lord in blessing. This is the blessing. You want his ears open to your prayers. You want him delighting in your obedience, even when it's hard. You want him hearing words of confession, Lord, I've failed. I confess my failure. I let these words go and I am wrong. I confess that was sin. I delight in you. I turn from that. I want words of righteousness. But this is real stuff, right? But if you care nothing about the words that you speak then the face of the Lord is set against you and you do not want that. You do not want that. Words are a big deal. We read in the book of James that the tongue is a restless evil and could set an entire forest ablaze with one little ember. That's your tongue. We work on that we seek to tame it. Self control is a fruit of the Spirit. Tongue control means we hold back that which should never be spoken by a Christian. And we replace it with words of blessing. So here's a list to kind of walk your way through one of the key ways to return blessing with reviling, so reviling comes your way and you say, no, nope, I wanna bless. You have to remember, this is the key, remember. First of all, remember that you represent your father. You are not your own Christian. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your lips and your tongue. Remember you represent the father. Number two, remember his undeserved love for you. He loved you when you didn't deserve it and he says now love that way, love like that. Do that, does that person deserve me returning love? No. But neither did I. Remember how he has set you free. You're not enslaved. You don't have to respond the way you used to always respond. Don't say this is just who we are as a family. We just this is just how we roll. No, not anymore. The gospel changes generational sins, it releases from that captivity. Number four, remember his commandments. God has not been silent on what he expects of his people. He's spoken. He's commanded. We have opportunities now to obey or disobey. Number five, refrain from evil responses. Hold it back. Respond with blessing and rejoice in God. You see how critical it is to go vertical before you respond? Stop. Think about who you are. All of these things will help enable a blessing in place of a revile. Now, verses 13 to 16, the boldness of the redeemed. The boldness. So the mindset of the redeemed, the the responses of the redeemed, and now the boldness of the redeemed. When you do this, you will find yourself in situations where people will not understand what just happened they're just going to be like, wait, what? That's not expected. Your your return of blessing to reviling or evil catches people off guard. Look at what happens. Peter says this, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. This was an interesting one. I, I kicked this around for a while this week and I mean, it's true. On the one hand, yes. If you live as a peacemaker and you live, verse 8, out and you are responding with blessing and not cursing, I mean, how many enemies can you really make? Right? There is, on the one hand, that is true. You are not going to be out there just mowing people down. I'm not kicking you guys. I'm just illustrating, you know. (laughs) The front row is pretty close, isn't it? Yeah. You're not going to be out there stirring up the hornet's nest With evil behaviors, making enemies, right? That's not who we are. We're peacemakers. We're meeting the world with love and peace and grace, and and yet, Jesus was crucified. Right? So, I mean, he was the perfect example of all of these things, and they killed him. And he says, They're gonna hate you because you represent me and you carry my word. And that many times is where it comes down. It's the word of God that is hated. And you carry that word and you are supposed to shine forth that word, that truth, the God who is, is to shine in your life. So Peter says, listen, you're you're not going to be stirring up tons of harm if you're zealous for what is good. But even if you should suffer, and, and we know it's likely that you will. you will be blessed. It's an amazing thought that the way these come together, he's basically saying you can't lose. (laughs) You can't lose. If you're zealous for good, you will be blessed in your obedience as you are zealous for good. And if you receive persecution because of it, you'll also be blessed. You'll be doubly blessed. As hard as it might be, to surrender self, to to relinquish that response, that comeback that you think of like three hours later. Oh, I should have said this. No, lay it down. That's not who I am. I don't represent the dark. I am called to go on the high road here. Blessing. Blessing. Blessed are you when others revile you, Jesus said. Blessed are you when they persecute you and when they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. Even they're lying about you. They're uttering all kinds of evil on my account because you represent me, because you're trying to carry the words of truth, because you're shining in the darkness. How can you respond, Christian? Rejoice. And be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is not new. This is normal. This is to be expected. Yeah, but it's not fair. It's not fair. Right? I mean, that. do you feel that? Neither was our salvation. It's not fair. The fact that we're saved isn't fair. Everyone should be in the fires of hell. That would be fair. Punished for our evil deeds. God has not treated us according to our standard of fairness. He has given us grace. And we are called to be a people of grace. Have no fear of them, Peter says. Nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. This is a great path. Like These are great steps. When you try to respond with blessing, what's going to happen? Well, what if, I, what if I do respond this way? What's, what are they going to do? This is a great list. Don't fear. Literally, it's, it's, it's don't fear what they fear. This is Isaiah chapter 8, I think verse 13, that he's loosely drawing in here. Don't, don't fear what they fear. Fear God. Fear God. Don't be troubled. The word there is to be shaken greatly, to be stirred up, to be completely undone. No, no. You stand with your feet on the rock. Don't be afraid. Don't be shaken. Revere and obey Christ as holy. To honor the Lord as holy is uh, the word hagiadzo. It means to sanctify Him. Uh, In this context... It means to revere him, to set him as Lord and obey him. Tremble before him, not before man. We are those who fear God and love, even when it costs us. We shine, even if it costs us our lives. To live is Christ, to die is gain. The ultimate freedom. It's true of you today, Christ uh, Christian. It's true of you. It was true of Jolene Lagerway. It was also true of Sue Heathers. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Blessing beyond measure. Can you imagine the joy of these ladies today as they are with Him in the fullness of joy forever? It's coming to you. It's coming to you. Paul knew this clear. And then he says this. This is going to give opportunities to shine because people are confused. They're like, wait, what's going on here? This is not what I'm expecting to have. I thought we were duking it out. I thought we were in the boxing ring. Let's go. Come on. What do you mean you're hugging me? Stop stop hugging me. Quit that. What is this? They're going to ask. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. What's wrong with you? How come you're not... Getting the boxing gloves up and lacing them up and prepping for the comeback. This may be the very reason that God brings this persecution into your life. It's because He is targeting the persecutor with an unexpected love, and you have the opportunity to show it. He's sovereign like that. He does that. We see it in the New Testament all over the place. People being saved as Christians are put under suffering and they rejoice and shine and return blessing in the place of evil. Are you noticeably different? That's the question. Are you noticeably different? Does your response stand out from the responses of people around you? Right? When when no one's doing the speed limit and you're doing the speed limit, you're, you're nailing it. That's perfect. That's good. Let them pass you. That's okay. Stick on it. You're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to fit in. When everyone in the workplace just cranking things up and you don't do it, instead you bless, you shine. When all your friends are like, that husband of yours, what a terrible guy. You should this, you should that. This is what I did. This is what... No, but I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. How will I respond? Noticeably different. That's the point. We're supposed to stand out from those around us in the way we respond. It's what I would call the good defense of confident hope. Even if in this life things go far worse than I was hoping, I have a hope that is invincible. And let me share what that is. Let me tell you why, what what that's all about. No one can touch this hope. I am so confident in this hope. It's coming my way. I'm blessed either way. And I want you to know it. I want you, persecutor, you want to bless the one who curses you? Point him to Jesus. There is no greater blessing to respond with. They're probably asking, is this person for real? And maybe, by the grace of God, if the Father is pulling them and drawing them, maybe the question on their heart is actually, as they're reviling, does this hope really exist? I remember in high school, I was in a public school that was pretty dark, and I had friends who watched me. They would watch my responses. They were waiting for that cuss word to come. And when it didn't come, they were confused, right, in other things. They were watching my life. And here's the question they were really wanting to know. Is this real? Or is this just another one of those self help yada, yada, yada? Does this dude really have that kind of hope? What's wrong with him? Why is he different? It will draw people with questions. And in that moment, Christian, be bold. Don't hold back. Don't be afraid. Shine bright. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when, not if, but when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Here's what's amazing. The person who is reviling you is not the only one who's watching. God may use one as a chisel and the other as the observers of the chisel. And this person may hate you and double down all the more when you respond with confident hope and you point to Christ And yet, there are other people watching you as well. And it may be that your response is such a contrast from the person who's coming at you that those people say, ooh, I do not want reviling. I do not want to be, I want what they have. That is beautiful. That is right and pure and true and there's something there I don't have. I want that. And it puts the revilers to shame. Have a good conscience. How do you do that? Confess sin. Catch it. Call it what it is. Right? Remember this. We are not sinless. We are still sinners and we will fail at this. Right? So there's a big piece of this that's just authenticity. Don't pretend to be perfect. We are not perfect people. We are sinners and we stumble and we fail and there's times where our words respond and they don't bless. Catch them. Chase them. Just like John was saying last week, sometimes you got to go back and say, listen, the way I responded did not honor God. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? That's not who I want to be. That's not a good reflection of my father. There's authenticity in view, but there's also an aim for consistency. Consistency. Part of growing in the Christian life is carrying these things together. Lord, I want to be more consistently obedient and yet when I fail, authentic and real, run to the gospel, call it what it is and rejoice that I'm forgiven. Make me more consistent in this obedience as I climb in sanctification depending upon your spirit. What a passage we have before us. So to sum this up, Christian, how is your mindset? How is... The attitude of your heart. How, how, how are you doing when it comes to the list of verse 8? Where can you grow? That's really the question. Where can you grow? How are your responses, Christian? When you are on the receiving end, what do you return? Are you remembering, stopping and grabbing before that tongue starts flapping? Stop and remember. Remember. Go through that list and bless. Bless. Don't curse. And how are you doing with boldness? When people ask, what is wrong with you? What's different? Why are you responding in ways that are just completely unexpected? Speak up. Don't be quiet. Point to Christ. He is the, the, the focal point of all of that fruit. It's the roots that bring about the fruit. And may the Lord make these things true of us all the more. Praise God for the fruit on display in the branches of Good Shepherd Bible Church. And in the coming years, may that fruit continue to grow and flourish, that the world would know that there is a hope, and it is real. And He changed us for His glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Peter and for these verses, for the gift that they are from You Lord, to us, we embrace them and, oh, Lord, we know we do not do these things as we want to grow us, oh, God, grow us, make us more like you in the way that we display these things, these Christian virtues, I pray, that would land in our lives all the more, that we would be the kind of church that would so love one another and show this this love for one another that the world would wonder what's happening in that church these people, they love one another. I pray that our responses to a hostile world, increasingly so, would, would not be with anger and bitterness and reviling in return, but with a calm and confident blessing, because we know, O oh Lord, that there is a hope that is not endangered. And may we speak, Lord, oh, give us words in those moments have. Help, help us to be prepared to give a defense for this, this hope that shines in our lives. May you ordain circumstances even this week through, through this prayer that you've ordained to bring about this opportunity for us to speak and point to the Savior of sinners who has so loved us and, and released us from our sins. And Lord, use us to that end to point others to you that you would be glorified, and that we would shine in this place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.